Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. I am delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Sherwin K. Bryant. Dr. Bryant is an associate professor of African-American studies and history at Northwestern University. He specializes in the history of the African diaspora and questions of slavery, race, law, and legal history in Latin America. He is the author of Rivers of Gold, Lives of Bondage, Governing Through Slavery in Colonial Quito, published in 2014, which explores the realities of slavery and slave life in the kingdoms of New Granada and Quito in present-day Colombia and Ecuador. Dr. Bryant is the former director of the Center for African-American History at Northwestern and currently serves as the co-director of the Andean Cultures and Histories Working Group in the Weinberg College Center for International and Area Studies. Welcome to the Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for that warm introduction and for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you today. It's our pleasure. So let's jump right in. So you're from North Carolina. So what was your journey from there to Northwestern and how did you become interested in examining the experiences of Afro-Latin Americans? Sure. So um, I would say that um, my interest in the study of Afro-Latin America really grows from those early formative experiences um, in North Carolina. And that's all about a love and a fascination uh, with Black history, right, which was nurtured in my um, family, in my community through mentorship programs, Black history competitions, um, and really um, the valuing of Black storytelling uh, and my proximity to uh, to my ancestors by way of the elders, right? So I was raised around my grandmothers, my grandfathers, um, my great grandmothers and great aunts who all taught me about slavery, our family's relationship or connection to the Civil War, um, the race massacre in 1898 in Wilmington, uh, which is uh, just across the river from where I'm from in Brunswick County. Um, and, and really also the story of black land acquisition in rural Brunswick County. Right. So these are all the things that really um, instilled and, and nurtured a love and a curiosity for black history in me. And then um, I went to uh, North Carolina Central University, historically black university in, in North Carolina. And um, and there I found my way to the history department, um, which um, looked at history in, in global perspective and, um, you know, but I think the through line was a kind of global comparative black history. Um, mm -hmm. And I encountered a scholar there by the name of Lolita Gutierrez Brockington, who yes. was teaching courses on colonial Latin America. Uh -huh. And um, and it was through those courses with Lolita Brockington that I um, came to read books by, you know, Colin Palmer, Slaves of a White God. And um, yes. and at that time, I don't, yeah, a classic in the field. Um, he was teaching at, at UNC Chapel Hill, just 20, 30 minutes down the road. Yeah. Um, and and at that time, I didn't even know that about Lolita's first book, which was um, 
on the Cortez Haciendas in Tehuantepec. Uh, but at the time she was working on the book that would become Blacks, Indians and Spaniards in the Eastern Andes. Um, and so the idea that there were Blacks in the Eastern Andes or in Mexico, um, you know, or even just encountering some of the older works um, like Ivan Van Sertima's They Came Before Columbus, those kinds of texts really um, just really lit a kind of fire, you know, really uh, sort of uh, furthered my curiosity about um, Black history in Latin America, right, which seemed so far away and yet so very much related to my upbringing. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's really, really beautiful, incredible, the way that your family has such a rich, deep influence on that curiosity, on that that uh, quest to understand. I, I know that you're passionate about telling the story of the African diaspora and especially the relationship to the law. So can you tell me more about that and what drew you to this particular arena? This, the, the connection between the law well, and enslavement? Well, you know, one of, the, I mean, the, my relationship to, to that very question, um, you know, has a kind of securitist root, right? I mean, the most direct relationship is um, when I first went to Latin America um, in 1996 to study uh, Spanish, I became really fascinated. I went to Ecuador, I went to Quito, and I became really um, enamored with, with, with Ecuador and with, with, with the landscape and the people and really curious about that. Um, and at the same time, really frustrated by the kind of narrative of, um, you know, no slavery in Ecuador, uh, blackness being on the coast. Um, and so uh, when I came back, my dissertation director, Kenneth Andrian, uh, suggested that I might go back and have a look at a section in the archive called uh, Esclavos. Uh, Esclavos. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to go yeah. back just a second. Um, this this narrative, the national narrative that you're running into, that there are no slave, there is no slavery in Ecuador. Tell me, can you tell me a little bit more about how how you encountered that? Yeah, so um, you know, I think that it's a very it's a very slippery narrative in the sense that um, you know slavery was broadly abolished around 1851 in that region, right? Um, just as uh, Ecuador was starting to break off and become its own sort of nation state or a kind of republic, right? And mm -hmm. so part of its kind of myth making about itself suggested that, you know, slavery was not a part of Ecuadorian history as a nation, right? Nice. But there was also um, this sort of, you know, really important aspect of, of Black resistance um, by way of, of, of a series of slave shipwrecks that occurred on the coast of what's now Ecuador in, uh, near this place called Esmeraldas. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, as a result of those shipwrecks, um, Afro-descended people overthrew their captors and intermarried with local chieftains, indigenous chieftains, um, and, and, and essentially became, became free and, and, and became uh, proverbial governors of that territory, right? And so people would often tell that story wow, in a very kind of condensed way to say, as a result, there was no slavery here ever. Right. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, inside of that story is a, is a tale of slavery and slave trading. Right. Exactly. Um, but there's also a bigger story of, of slavery that I knew about 
that I wanted to uncover. Um, but people would always say, oh, no, there was no slavery. You have to go to the coast. You have to go to Esmeraldas and, and there you'll learn about blacks. Um, wow. So I mean, it, I mean, it's not a, it's not an uncommon narrative, um, this kind of washing away right. um, of, of, of slavery That's itself, right. you having some other explanation for why there are black people mm-hmm. <laughs> in a particular uh, country in Latin America. Uh, so yeah, so I'm right, glad that right, you right. were you were drawn to to investigate that, to interrogate that, to break that yeah. that narrative yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in in, yeah. in in the work in the work, okay, oh, continue uh, what you were saying about um, well, you about being drawn to the area. Oh, and 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 the law. Yeah. Apologies for interrupting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and so when I and so I did go back and start doing that research in that particular section of the archive, and what I found there were among other things. Um, a cache of court cases, mm. right? Where in enslaved people, uh, in some instances, were actually suing slaveholders uh, for things like uh, their freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if if they you know claim they had been free, maybe they had purchased their freedom, or um, due to an arrangement to purchase their freedom. But they were also suing for uh, for what was called gross mistreatment. So basically, the Spanish. Um, so the legal process left open this possibility, mm-hmm. um, and that really fascinated me. Um, as both, but, but what fascinated me more so at that time was that through those court cases, I read enslaved people giving testimony. I read them narrating. It seemed to me uh-huh. um, an experience that brought them to this legal authority, right? And I wanted. To, I was most interested in those voices. So the cases were, at first blush a way for me to, to, to get at uh, their voices, right? The, the right. question of agency was very palpable at that time in, in, the, in the late 90s when, we, when I was in graduate school, we were in graduate school. Yeah, no, those, I mean, I'm with you on that, those court, those kinds of, any kind of cases where you get to hear even a smidgen of their perspective, their agency, their thought processes is, um, is incredibly important and rich. And we, we just, because we don't get to see it all the time. Um, we get to hear mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. talking around it, uh, but not, it's, it's less common to hear them bringing these suits and saying what they, making their arguments, even if they're, even if the scribes are involved in, in putting it, putting it mm-hmm. down legibly, but that it is essentially their perspective, um, their, their testament um, and their quest for justice in that sense. So it is. I mean, I'm exactly. I'm, I'm, so, I'm amazed by the power of, of their work of their words and their efforts to find find a way to to foster justice in this very circumscribed arena. So I'm that's, I'm, that's I'm just right. a fan. Yeah, so that <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that opened up all sorts of thorny methodological issues, like how do I how do I use this source and all the ways that you that you're gesturing towards now. And um, and so that really opened up that interest in legal in law and legal history, um, in addition to my my interest in the African diaspora. Yeah. So then, as a as a scholar as well as as an educator, how do you think? How do you use your work to, to, to contribute to our understanding of Afro Latin American communities? So, for example, in the classroom, what kind of examples do you bring? to your students to help them understand? Because I, I mean, I'm, I have a similar issue in teaching my students. It's hard to take them back in time to understand. And so mm-hmm. there are lots of um, you know, mechanisms to try to get them to understand, help them understand this. And so I'm wondering what kinds of things do you use to help them understand? 
Sure. So I think, um, you know, one of the one of the first things that I, I want to to help students understand is the sort of the long durée of, of, of black history. Right. So um, so for me, there's there's a kind of intervention in what we call black history um, that I'm trying to make that um, goes before 1619 and that also pivots beyond the 1619. Right. So I'm trying to help them see the relationship of the Americas. Right. I'm trying to help them see um, that, um, you know, that, in fact, um, three out of four people who came to the Americas before the year of 1825 were Africans, right? Exactly. Um, so helping them to understand that there's a relationship to Iberia, right? Helping them to understand that there's a relation, Spain and Portugal, there's a relationship to, um, to Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and that these things, these, these relationships influence the history of, of, of black life in the Americas, right? Um, so I use, um, I, I, so in some ways there's a, there's a concern for time, right? How do we get back to that, mm -hmm. um, to these earlier periods? Um, and understanding that the things that we take for granted, the way that we narrate history sometimes comes to us from a more recent period you know, the 1800s, right? And so what was it like before and how do we understand how that changed over time, right? Um, there's a lot of interest right now about blackness, right? So trying to complicate and texture that and give them a sense of that. So I use primary sources, right? One source I like to use is a, a text called Afro-Latino Voices mm -hmm. um, because it has different slices of, you know, primary source texts of different Afro-descendant people. Right. So one of the things we see were um, not all and not all people of African descent who came to the Americas in those early years mm -hmm. were enslaved. Right. A good number yes. of them are coming from Spain and Portugal and are, you know, in, in these passenger licenses that um, Leo Garofalo uh, charts. Right. So, so texts like that, um, you know, I, I so a lot of sort of firsthand accounts so they can begin to get a sense of. Um, you know, who these people were and the variety of individuals and, and, and motivations um, that, 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 you know, forged people onward. Absolutely. No, it's great. It's, it's wonder, really wonderful to have the students read and read the words for themselves of, of individuals, their experiences. I think it can make a big difference between the kind of the lectures that we give and how, how they engage with this kind of piece, this document directly from the time period that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I, mean, I guess, kind of related to that, what do you think are some of the most urgent issues for Afro-Latin American communities, especially today, especially as they relate to your work? You mentioned a little bit about mm. the narratives, uh, changing of national narratives. I'm not sure how, um, how, what the situation is in Ecuador now, if that's, if they're dealing with it in the mm -hmm. curriculum, but just wanted to get your perspective on some of those kinds of, of uh, pressing issues regarding the Afro-Latin American yeah. community. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think some of the most pressing issues um, are issues of racism and racial exclusion, right? And really the sort of disavowal of that, right? There's been a way in which, um, you know, that's like that same narrative that I was giving about locating Blackness elsewhere, locating it on the coast, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a kind of 
geographical marginalization that Afro-descendant populations have, have experienced across the Americas, right? Not just in Latin America, but in Latin America. And so I think that is something that uh, various uh, Afro-descendant and indigenous um, activist groups have worked to counter um, over the last 30, 40 years, right? Um, and, and to the degree that um, that they've situated themselves as uh, and, and in law in some ways to call for things like ethno education, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to see oneself in the curriculum, right? The, the ability to write the importance of uh, black history and memory into curriculum, into studies. Um, I think issues like access to healthcare, uh, access to, to education um, and services um, are really urgent. Um, infrastructure, right? A lot of our a lot of our communities are sequestered in in areas of of, of countries that that are not uh, well resourced uh, in terms of the infrastructure. Um, in particular, I think in in terms of Colombia right now, we see um, that violence and ongoing subordination through geopolitical kind of incursion and impo impoverishment mm -hmm. and displacement. Um, are, are, are the kinds of um, kinds of challenges that 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 continue to impinge upon um, black life right even as the state um, celebrates and promotes peace processes right. um, there are ongoing sort of removal displacement assassination of local indigenous and black leaders um, in these territories right um, you know, my work also, I think, seeks to sort of showcase um, the ways that whatever we mean when we can't, when we come to call colonial Latin America or even the nation state, many of these territories would never have been claimed by Spain were it not for Afro-descendant peoples, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about uh, palenques or runaway slave communities right. um, that are really sort of, you know, so this is related to current claims of land and belonging um, that uh, that black populations have been calling for, um, I think most notably in places like Colombia and Brazil, mm -hmm. right? And have been most successful legally in making those kinds of claims for territory, for land, uh, for belonging, given that colonial history mm -hmm. of, of slavery and slave resistance, right? right. Um, so I think my, my work is, is related to to those kinds of concerns mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so i would say um kind of coming to the close of our conversation uh but certainly not the end and by no means <laughs> uh in addition to your book rivers of gold lives of bondage governing through slave uh, through slavery and colonial quito what other specific resources would you recommend to people who are interested in learning more about this topic or these communities Mm, Are there any yeah, kind of sure. films or digital projects or organizations that um, that you would recommend people uh, investigate or Google do Google searches or or try to try to connect with? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know that one th one thing in, in terms of slavery, I think the Voyages uh, Slave Trade Database is an amazing kind of collection that is being further updated and enriched, uh, particularly with materials from, from Latin America. So there's a way in which we're only now starting to understand and, um, and, and, and uh, 
improve our sourcing on the slave trade uh, to Spanish America, for example, right? So I think that database is, is particularly useful and important. Um, I mean, there's a, you know, there are a host of sort of books and, and, and texts um, that, um, that I would recommend, um, you know, um, I mean, I don't know how much time we have in terms of <laughs> to, to, to list them all. Um, but I think in terms of some of the things that I've referenced today, I think um, I mentioned Afro-Latino voices. Um, there's Becoming Black Political Subjects by Tiana Paschel. And I think in terms of Brazil, uh, for something a little bit that pivots in both directions, I would suggest Kim Butler's Freedoms Given, Freedoms Won. Um, and, you know, I think um, in terms of um, in terms of projects, you might look at um, the Quinto, Su Quinto Suyu, the fifth Suyu, um, which helps to take us into a concern for the Afro-Andes, right, and the history of Africans uh, in the Andes. Um, so that would be a kind of project that I would uh, suggest people look at. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your perspectives, your journey, um, your deep commitment to histories. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.